This is Beyond the Uniform with TJ Brassel. Well, welcome into another episode of Beyond the Uniform. I'm TJ Brassel, joined today by Kendall Ellis. Kendall, thank you for joining the show. Thanks for having me. Of course. Okay, so I'm sure you've talked about this plenty of times, but I can't I can't just go I can't just go past it. So a couple years back at the NCAA championships, mm-hmm. one of the things you're probably most famous for as of today is that epic comeback that you had in that four by four um to, to win your to win your team the natty basically yeah what was it like when you crossed that finish line and you essentially won your team that natty <laughs> um for a while i didn't know that like we had won i didn't know that i caught her i was like really hoping that we did but i was like i don't know i'm not sure i don't really want to celebrate just in case they say that we didn't really win but once my teammates started hugging me and like the announcement came through and they're like, SC like wins the national title. I was like, oh my gosh, like finally, like we finally won a national championship because like, you know, it was cool the way it happened with the relay and I was excited that we won that. But, you know, being on a team for four years and every single year trying to win a national title and it never happening, but having it happen your senior year, the last time you're gonna represent your college was like, Finally, all the hard work has accumulated <laughs> into this moment. It just, it felt good. It was like a perfect, perfect ending. So you essentially became famous overnight from that. Like you were all over sports and you're all over Twitter. You're all over everything. What was that like to just kind of become an instant celebrity? It was, it was weird. Like I'm not somebody who likes a whole lot of attention. That's not really my thing. So um, people were like stopping me in the store, like stopping me like around campus, just in random places. I was just getting stopped like, oh my gosh, like you're, you're the relay girl. Like, can I take a picture? And I was like, yeah, like, sure. You know, like I'm looking like a scrub right now. I wasn't like planning <laughs> on people recognizing me, but it, it was a lot. It was just really overwhelming, but I can say that it was really, really sweet. Like people were reaching out. I had tons of messages and comments and people just really, really being nice. And I was like, wow, like this is great that they can see something that I did in my sport, which is like, feels normal for me. Like that's my job, that's what I'm supposed to do. Um, and they relate to it and, and felt a way about it. And that, that was really cool to me, like just having people reach out and just, just they, were, they were like more excited for me. And I was like, oh man, like that's, that's super sweet. That is really cool. So wait, so you were, they called you the relay girl. Like, is that how you were known to everyone? Was the relay girl? Yeah, you know, like majority of the time, if someone stopped me and they saw me, they were like, "Are you? You're that girl who did do like the relay thing, right?" And I was like, "Yeah, Kendall, nice to meet you." But yeah, nine times out of ten, it was relay girl, unless the person like really knew track and field like that, and they happened to remember my name. So. Oh, that's too funny. Yeah. Are you still the relay girl a couple years later? Have people finally start started to get the Kendall Ellis down? I think they've I think they've got my name down. Um, oh, good. Hoping they've got it down. <laughs> off my bib, ten out of ten times. So I think hope like we drilled it in there. It's Kendall Ellis. <laughs> All right. Well, if anyone's watching and still thinks you're the relay girl, just remember it is it is Kendall <laughs> Ellis, not the relay girl. Yeah. Um, all right. So typically, whether it's a sprint or the 10K or a race in between, runners go into a race with a race plan. But then when you're in that relay and you're, I think you were two or three people behind when you got the baton, what is your, is it just like go, go, go? Or what happens to your race plan at that point? It's 
it's literally just go, go, go for me. Like the way I run the four by four in general, um, even not in like a championship race setting, it's just go. There is no time to really think like, okay, I'm going to get out here, conserve, because everyone's just going. So like I have to go with them. Um, and especially when like we had the whole the time bobble situation, it was just like, okay, we just have to run at this point. Like there is no, we can't sit here and try to strategize. Like let's just run. <laughs> That makes sense. Yeah. All right. And so there's been so many epic races and epic things done at Hayward Field, whether it's Steve Prefontaine or Ashton Eaton breaking the world record, the Triple Crown. And it kind of culminated with your race. I don't know if you've ever really thought about this before or not, but you were the last race at Hayward Field before it was torn down and is now being rebuilt have you ever thought about that? And what is what is what goes through your mind when you think like that you ended essentially ended Hayward Field in such a historic fashion? Um, I think it's just like it's like doing you know like you said. There's been so many great performances there before. It's only right that we end on a high note. Like it's just keeping the Hayward magic alive and keeping the tradition of incredible performances going on so like it's an honor to know that like my performance was the last one to grace like the old Hayward field um it just I think just puts me in good company and you know Hayward magic is real and and it's just it's well and alive you know started started great ended great will continue to be great so I just like to be a part of it that's awesome all right so we mentioned obviously that epic race um you were you also were the collegiate record holder in the indoor 400 um, you've ran at Worlds. You've done. You've accomplished a lot of different things. To this point in your career, what what's kind of your your biggest accomplishment so far that you think? Personally, I'm super proud of the collegiate and American like indoor record, just because um, I think the year before I'd gotten second. So coming in my senior year, I was like, okay, I'm ready to win. I'm ready to have a title to my name. And, you know, the goal was just to win, to get the national title. Like, as I was running, I didn't even know what the record was prior to. So once I crossed the line and they said that it was the collegiate record and the American record, I was like, oh, wow, like, what a way to start senior year. Like, this is, this is, this is like time. Like, it feels good. I'm excited. Um, been a long four years coming. But I think that's what I'm most proud of, just because I think about that race all the time. And I just really... I enjoyed the race itself. So, and I think my coach was super excited, like to see him like so proud of me. I was like, yes, that's like what, like that's what every athlete wants their coach to like be proud of them. And he was, so that, that will hands down be like my most favorite accomplishment easily. Well, that's a heck of a senior year. You started off with a, with an American record and end it with one of the most historic races in Hayward Field history. So I'd say, I say you, uh, you, you succeeded well in your senior year. That's for sure. <laughs> Good <laughs> so okay, so now going forward, I mean, you've accomplished so many things, and you you're have it. You're still extremely young in your career. What kind of goals do you set for yourself going forward in your in the rest of your career? Um, it sounds kind of weird to say, but like I don't think I've done anything. Like I really, I look at my career and I'm like, I don't think I've done anything yet. Like you know, I've made two world teams so far. Um but I've yet to bring home like an individual medal from it. So I'm like, okay, we're making teams, but now it's time to like go and do something while we're there. Like, let's go make an impact. Let's go get an individual medal. Um, 
so I think those are just the goals that I'm looking at, you know, making Olympic teams, winning gold medals, as many teams as I can make, um, the American record, the world record. Like, there's so much more that can be accomplished because I just feel like I haven't haven't done anything, any of it yet. I haven't even, like, scratched the surface of the stuff I'm, I'm capable of doing. So, you know, I'm young and I'm glad because I'm going to need some time to accomplish, like, everything that I want to accomplish. You know, I don't, I don't think there's a rush to it or anything, but um, there's – I haven't even, like, scratched at, at my goal list yet. Well, time is absolutely on your side, so that's, <laughs> that's a plus. But, okay, so you mentioned a couple of world teams. Going into this year, into Olympic trials year, does having um, having been on that world stage and having that experience give you more confidence heading into the Olympic trials to make an Olympic team? Um, in a sense, yes, just because, you know, I've never gone to Olympic trials before. This will be my first year going to trials because I was hurt in 2016. So, um I think knowing that I've been on a world stage before kind of gives me, kind of gets some of those nerves out. You know, it's complete, it'll, I'm sure it'll be completely different. It's Olympic trials. Um, but I think it kind of just gives me some confidence and kind of rest in that, like, you know, you've, you've been on one of the world's biggest stages that you could be on. So let's like rely on that and rest in that and kind of trust that like, this is where you're supposed to be. Like, if you weren't supposed to be here, you wouldn't be. And, like, you're capable and put in this position for a reason. So um, it's, a, it's, it's a confidence booster, for sure, in my book. Absolutely. And then when you were – so after you finished up at USC and you decided to go pro, you ended up signing with New Balance. I was just curious, why, what led to that decision to, to go with New Balance? Oh, gosh. They're just so – like – I mean, people talk about their companies all the time and like essentially they're being paid by them is what kind of sounds like it's paid promotion and not genuine. But I really and truly do love New Balance. Like when they reached out and said they were interested in me, I was like, really? Like New Balance is interested in me? Um, they've just come so far. Like they've, they've, they've really like innovated over the year and like appealed to the younger crowd because you know, I think before they're kind of known as like the dad shoe and kind of <laughs> out there if people were interested. But now, like, I wear stuff to practice and they're always like, oh, my gosh, like your outfit's so cute. And I'm like, yeah, like it's New Balance. We've come a long way. <laughs> but um, it was just it was just an honor to be part of a company. You know, I think they're really selective in their athletes. They have a small a small pool of us um, compared to the other companies. So it really, really is an honor to represent them and that they see something special in me that they want me to wear their uniform and represent their brand. That's really cool. All right. So you were originally from Florida, went to mm-hmm. USC. So USC brought you all the way across country. <laughs> yeah. How hard was that adjustment to go from Florida to, to Southern California? Oh my gosh. I feel like I'm still adjusting. Like, <laughs> and I've been out here for six years now. Um, I always said that I wanted to leave South Florida. I was like, I don't, you know, I love Florida. I'm a proud Floridian to the day I die. But I was like, you know, it's college. Like I was planning on four years. I was like, you know, let's just try something new, see if we like it. And I kind of feel like California is, if we're going to take this the wrong way, like the Florida (laughs) of the West Coast in the sense that like there's similar weather. Um, I think like... Yeah, we'll just we'll leave it at similar weather. 
Um, it was definitely an adjustment because I don't have any family out here. Um, it was just me and, you know, that's when your teammates really, really become your family because a lot of them didn't have family out here either. So um, adjusting in that sense, kind of getting comfortable with, okay, it's a six hour flight back home. So you don't really have the opportunity to go home as often as everyone else does. You know, we might have to sacrifice going home for Thanksgiving and just go home for Christmas. So things like that, I had to kind of get used to and, and kind of figure out like, okay, communication skills have to go all the way up because you literally are not going to see these people for majority of the year. So it was, it was a transition. Um, definitely made easier by having like my coaches and my teammates, you know, bring me in as a family uh, for sure. But the beaches still are, they're not better than Florida. So that'll <laughs> will be an adjustment that like, I never, I never get over. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're still, you're still a Florida girl at heart, even though oh, you're in SoCal. For sure. <laughs> I, will, I will always be a Florida girl, like forever. So you mentioned how your teammates kind of, kind of brought you in. You guys really bonded together as a family at U.S. Senior Coaches. What kind of things did they do to really make you feel at home in Southern California? Uh, um, you know, one of the things, I was always invited to their homes for Thanksgiving, which I really appreciated. You know, it would be like multiple invites from multiple teammates, the coaches themselves. Um, so that was always, always really appreciated when you don't get to go home with your family for the holiday. And then we bonded so much, like we always hung out. You would think that like we'd be at practice for however long and like in some classes together and we'd be like tired of each other and be like, okay, like that's enough for the day. But we're always hanging out on the weekends. We're always over each other's houses, um, just having fun. So it was like, it was so much more than just like a teammates on the track. It was like, we were, we were really friends off the track. I'm still good friends with a lot of my teammates from over the years, so. It feels good. It feels good to know that, like, there's a family within your college and outside of your hometown. And so I was actually talking to some of your teammates not too long ago, and one of them told me that on the walls of the locker room, there's only a handful of people on the wall, and you're one of those people on the wall. So clearly, you meant as much to the school as, as the school meant to you. So what does that mean, knowing that you're there, you're up on the wall for everyone to see for all time, basically. Yeah. It feels really good. You know, like, like you said, you give so much to the school and you give a lot to the program and like, you know, ultimately you hope it's appreciated and like you kind of, you think it is, but to see it in like physical form, um, is just really reassuring, you know, and it's nice because like future generations will come in and, you know, hopefully I'm still relevant in the next like <laughs> six years. So <laughs> And they're not like, who's that girl? But they're like, oh, like, that's Kendall Ellis, like, when she was in college. And now she's like, I don't know, like, 27. <laughs> like, like, she's still, like, doing her thing. So it's nice to see, like, where she started and stuff. So it's 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 just really, really humbling. Um, it feels good to know that your school loves you just as much as, as, as you did wearing the uniform and whatnot. Absolutely. I have, I have no doubt you'll still be relevant <laughs> for quite a ways to go. So I, no worries there. Um, so you were talking about how, and for people not to take it the wrong way, but how there's similarities between California and Florida. On the flip side, what's what was the biggest difference that you had to get used to between uh, Florida and California? Um, I'm a beach girl. I really, really like the beach. Like in high school, we lived 
our high school was like a few minutes away from the beach. So we would go after school and I don't live far from the beach back home. So that's just like a normal weekend staple activity. And the few times I've been to the beach in California, it's just, it doesn't hit the same. Like the water's cold, it's all sandy. And I'm like, ew, this is not like my Florida beach water. It's not the same thing. It's not. So I just, I don't like the beaches. <laughs> the beaches are terrible. Um, and the only other, like the biggest difference to me, um, or the one that matters most to me, is there's no Publix in California. And I love Publix. Uh, for those who don't know, it's a grocery store, but it's like so much more than that. It's a whole experience and it's great. And I love it. And I just think every state in the whole world should have one. So. Okay, so you say it's a whole experience. What What's the whole experience? Like, why is it so great? Because they're just so sweet. They're so nice. They always have a sale. It's really good Publix chicken tender subs and cake. And it's just like, I love grocery shopping, so maybe I'm biased. <laughs> but like, it's just great. It's just, it just feels like home, so... Okay, well that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, so so two things California has to work on: getting a Publix, and improving their beaches. Yeah, I don't know how they're gonna figure out that beach one, but <laughs> I wish them luck. So yeah, that might that might be one of the one of the first times I've ever heard people not like the California beaches. But so you would if you'd been in Northern California, you would have had a rude awakening because those beaches are even are way different than even Southern California. Yeah, yeah, we we won't go over there. We'll just, we'll <laughs> stay over here. Um. All right. So I don't know if you've ever seen this kind of this kind of stuff on Twitter or not, but um, there's a, there's a thing on Twitter and it's called a Florida man. Have you ever have you ever heard about that? And it's it's yeah. all it's all about like. All these crazy stories that always start with a Florida man has done this or a Florida man has done that. So that got me thinking, what's the craziest story or thing that you've seen happen in Florida? Um, I think, mm, I think the craziest story that I like remember was some years ago. And it was like that man who was, I think he was like off of acid or something, and he was like eating that woman's face. That was, yeah, that was like, that was some years ago. I think it was in like middle school or high school, but like he like ate this person's face, and it was just, it was really weird. And I was like, okay, you're gonna like brush that off and like pretend it's not a part of Florida. So that was definitely like the craziest story, but there's always a new one every week. So like, <laughs> Who knows what'll come out in the next few days, but there's always there's always something interesting happening. Like, so is that is that blown out of proportion a little bit on social media, or is Florida actually as wild as it seems? I feel like it's blown out of proportion because Southern South Florida is an entirely different like entity than the rest of Florida. So okay, that's okay. what doesn't happen down south. It's like Central Florida and like up north that like the crazy stuff is happening. But South Florida, I think we're pretty. I think we're normal. So when people refer to like Florida being the weird state, let's chop out like South Florida because we're <laughs> we're separate. <laughs> all right, so it's just it's just a chunk of Florida that's the weird state. South Florida is all good to go. Yeah, yeah, it's not all of us. That's why, like, even in my bio, I specifically have like South Florida and not not just Florida, so people like don't don't get confused. <laughs> <laughs> gotta gotta 
make sure you uh, you explain that. That that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, and so another thing that I saw is that so you went to St. Thomas Aquinas High School. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you. I know you loved to rep St. Thomas Aquinas, I but did. I saw that you were also you were very involved in high school. You were involved in a lot of clubs, um, things like the Delta Gems and Think Big, and you volunteered at I, I believe is West Pembroke Pines Track Club. That kind of stuff, correct? So were you a, or what kind of things when you got to USC, were you able to still be involved with at all outside of track? Uh-huh. Um, I volunteered with an organization called Coaching Corps, which is still essentially kind of like sports related, but um, I always just thought it was like super important for me. Like I'm in a position that I've been blessed and like, you know, I want to be a blessing to others and I enjoy, I love kids. I'm, I'm passionate about children and I like working with them. So I just wanted to find something outside of track. Um, you know, that's kind of as much as I love it, it's still a stressor. So I was like, okay, let's find something outside of the sport that'll kind of just relax you, calm your mind. Um, so I volunteered with Coaching Corp for, I think, two or three years. Um, and I would go volunteer at Boys and Girls Club once a week and just hold like, a kind of mini like track clinic with them. Um, we would play tag and like just different things to get them active and get them moving without, you know, them just being told like, hey, go run like eight laps. I was like, okay, let's have like a fun like relay race where like we're gonna split up in two teams and whoever like wins gets this, blah, blah, blah. Um, things like that. So that was that was what took up majority of my collegiate like volunteering time. That was the organization I was with. Um, I had an internship. I think my junior year with um, the athletic department and it was just going around in different sections of the department kind of seeing how things worked and and what they were doing there and that was cool to me just to get kind of like some mini work experience and see what the department that like I kind of work for um, what that looked like from the inside. So I mean you volunteered so much in high school obviously you did a lot at USC as well why what is it that makes volunteering so important to you? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it keeps us humble. It keeps us humble, especially working with kids. They're so honest. Um, they just, they don't hold back. They don't care about your feelings. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's a humbling experience. And it's kind of just always keeps you reminded that like, I started writing when I was seven. So I like very vividly remember the days of me being young and being introduced to the sport. And I kind of just want to make sure everyone else has that opportunity as well. Um, and making sure that they have either a role model or just somebody to reach out to and talk to if they have questions about the sport and about things they want to do. So kind of just making sure I'm a resource if, if needed, if they want me to be, um, it's just important. I just, I enjoy it also because it's just, like I said, it's, stress relieving like it's fun to go out there and see six-year-olds like try to do like high knees and different drills and stuff and it's just nice it's like remembering remember when you were like so innocent you just started the sport and you like you didn't know much about it but it was fun because you're out there with your friends and that kind of stuff so it's just it's just a nice reminder to me that's awesome and you said that you started when you were seven so what was it that got you into track and then when was it that you realized like oh I'm, I'm not too bad at this like this could go somewhere 
Um, okay, me and my mom have like different accounts of how <laughs> I got into the sport. I remember telling her I wanted to travel. I said, I want to travel. And she was like, I don't really know who's like about to, to fund this like travel <laughs> desires of yours at seven years old. And then she said that like she was talking to man, it was part of, I said I wanted to travel. And then she said that I kept coming home from school. And I was like, mom, I'm so fast. Like, I'm so fast. I'm like beating all the kids at school. Like, I'm super fast. And she was like, okay, like, let's do something with that. And someone told her about a track club. And then she put me in the in the track club. I said I wanted to travel. And the next thing I knew, I was running laps. And I was like, okay, this is not, this is not traveling. <laughs> Whatever. Um, and then it's going to sound kind of weird, but I don't, think I knew I kind of knew I was I was good when I was like going to junior olympics and I was coming home with the medal and you know I was doing well like I was always in the mix Uh and I was like okay like that's cool like I'm I'm getting like top three and like I'm making it to junior olympics and stuff but I don't think I really really knew that like okay you you have a chance to be like somebody in this sport until like Maybe junior year of high school, junior, senior year is where I really started taking it seriously because before that I was like, I'm just running track, like to run, like I'm good at it. So I'm just running, like my plan was to go to Stanford, go to law school. And I was like, that, that's what I wanted to do. I was going to be a lawyer and track had like no, no space in my plans. Um, until like junior year when like college just started reaching out and I was getting like a bunch of letters and stuff. And I was like, oh man, like somebody does need to pay for college. <laughs> so I was like, okay, if this is how I can, I can get college paid for, like, yeah, like let's do it. So I think that's when it kind of hit, like when I had a whole bunch of interests, I was like, all right, like this is something that we're good at. This is something that we can, we can really do. Um, and then again, hit me junior year of college where I was like, now, I can be a professional. Like I can, I can really make this my career, make money off of it, and and go far in the sport. And now track has led you to traveling, so it kind of it kind of went all together, full circle there. Yeah, my mom knew what she was talking about. So, <laughs> yeah. so so you said you said that when you were younger, you wanted to, you wanted to be a lawyer, mm-hmm. and I also I saw that you had a four point seven GPA in high school. So I I didn't realize I'm talking to a genius here. So that's good <laughs> to know. Um, but like, post post track life or even outside of track, mm-hmm. what kind of what kind of things are you interested in that you want to potentially pursue after track? Um, I'm in the middle of working on my MBA actually. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that that has been taking up a lot of my time. You know, I was a business um, administration mm-hmm. major at SC um, and now I'm pursuing my MBA. So I definitely have, I'm business-minded, um, always have been. I definitely want to use the aspects that I'm learning um, both in my track career now and long after. But I think what I'm really leaning towards right now um, is getting into public policy after after I'm done running because I just you know I think we need more student former student athletes in a position of power people who have been there before who understand how the rules are affecting the athletes themselves so if I can go work for NCAA that would be awesome um but I do want to get into 
policy making and policy changing because it just fascinates me. Um, I think it, it needs change, so why not jump in and help out if I can? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think that's that's what I would like to do when my career is done. Maybe coaching, but like mm, I'm probably gonna get an athlete like me, and I just I don't want to deal with her. <laughs> so like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll stay from that. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you would uh, you would definitely be a great advocate for all athletes and kind of in that mindset. So that that makes that's really cool. Um, so you said you're getting your MBA right now as well, and I would assume you don't have a lot of downtime. But in the downtime that you do have, what kind of things do you like to do away from track just to kind of relax and get away? Uh, I'm a YouTube junkie. I love YouTube so much. Like. I can watch hours on hours on hours of YouTube content. It's probably terrible, but like, I just love it so much. <laughs> There's so much on YouTube. There's everything. And then aside from YouTube, I played piano when I was younger, um, but I only played for like maybe a year and a half. Uh, and then I went, I played trumpet for three years. So I know how to read music. I like music. So I got a keyboard for Christmas and I've been reteaching myself how to play piano so that's been fun it's so hard and it's so long but I miss being able to like sit down at a piano and just play it so that's what I'm trying to get back to wow so so future Olympian future policymaker future musician (laughs) maybe future lawyer we're just going to keep checking things off the list here I mean why not life is short let's see how much we can cram in there (laughs) I like it I like it and then, okay, so I don't know if you had seen this recently or not, um, but before going into the Super Bowl, Tyreek Hill was interviewed, um, and he was saying that he wanted to try, if he got through the Super Bowl uh, unscathed and it was healthy, he wanted to try to make a run at the Olympic trials. So if you have heard, had heard about that, or uh, you and your teammates, what are your thoughts on that? Okay, from, like, the stuff that I saw, I think he had, like, a, a was it 20-point, like, PR in high school? That's, yeah, like that sounds, that sounds right. I think that's what it was. Um, so, I mean, okay, I think it's positive in the aspect that, like, that's great. You know, we're having, he's kind of bringing that football attention over to track and field. But on the flip side, I don't want the public to get the, get the impression that, like, oh, we can just go hop in the trials. Like, it's simple. Like, not like people have been training their entire lives for this. Like, if it's if he can do it, like, yeah, anyone can do it. And, like, I don't want that impression to be given off. So that's where I'm kind of, like, wary about it. But as far as him personally, like, go for it. If you you want to train for it and you think you can um do it, like, go ahead. You know, of course, there's, like, he'll have to hit the standard and he'll have to, like, get in other meets beforehand. So, like, as long as he understands that, um, which I'm assuming he does. He ran track in high school. Um, and I don't, I don't see any issues with it. You know, like, who are we to be like, no, he can't come to trials. Like, he can't. <laughs> he can't. Like, it's not. If it's bringing more attention to the sport in a positive light, then mm-hmm. I'm for it. We need all the attention we can get. So, Absolutely. Not? But, that I mean, that leads perfectly into the next thing I was going to ask you is that although it's bringing – a lot of attention to the sport, especially coming on to, up to Olympic year, and a lot of people were talking about track and comparing 
uh, different athletes and track athletes and look at the time they're running here compared to here, but it almost seems like they end up downplaying what the track athletes are doing as opposed to other things. What kind of effect do you think that has on track athletes as a whole seeing that comparison, but it doesn't end up being positive for them? Yeah. Um, it's just, it's annoying and it's frustrating, especially because like we it, within the track community, like we understand what it takes to make an Olympic team. We understand what it takes to make the final in the Olympics and like the way they just, I forgot what, um, what outlet it was, but they literally just like placed him, his like time marker in um, that 200 race and was like, here's uh-huh. where he would have finished the Olympic trial, Olympic finals. And I was like, okay, you have to understand like there's, if we could all just throw in our PRs, like, yeah, we would all be finishing like higher up. But I'm like, you can't, there's so much more that factors into it. Like you need to look at how many rounds were ran, what kind of season they had, how long was their season, like the mental pressures of being on that stage. Like that's where I wish there was more conversation. You know, we have it within the track community, but the public eye just, they don't, they don't care to look at it like that. Like they just see a little figure and they're like, oh man, look, he would have gotten third. Like it's not, it's not real life. <laughs> that is just a graphic being put on Twitter. Um, and I think it has like, I don't think it has a negative effect on the athletes ourselves because I think we've kind of grown to understand that this is our reality for now. Um, hopefully it changes, but at the end of the day, I don't think it, it affects us in the sense that like, we are still going to go and try to make the team. We're still going to go and try and compete, run, jump, throw as far and fast as we can. Um, it's just, it's more of an annoyance thing. Like it's just irritating. Mm-hmm. Is this something that's, that people will talk about amongst each other at, at practice or stuff like that? Or is it something, is, are things like this something that everyone just kind of blows off? And like you said, they, you, you know, that's just how it is. And you just have to kind of deal with it. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I think there's a divide. I think there's some athletes who are kind of like, it is what it is, like, not going to lose sleep over arguing with people we don't even know on the internet. Like, it's just, it's not worth it. Um, And then I think there's another half who are like, no, like, we can't settle over this. Like, this is their sport. Like, we have to try to change it as much as we can. Um, So I think it's definitely like a half and half kind of thing. And man, it's like there's so much desire to change commentary around our sport and whatnot, but it's kind of like we need, like how, you know, how is ultimately like the the, the follow-up question because we can complain about it as much as we want, but if there is no action behind it, it's just, it's falling on deaf ears. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate all of this. I wish you nothing but the best for this year to come and with the trials and everything. uh, You're going to have a great year. So I'm excited to see everything that happens. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Of course. And thank you for everyone to listening and watching. If you haven't subscribed, please do so that you don't miss a second of any of these interviews uh, with Beyond the Uniform. And I'll see you all next week for another episode of Beyond the Uniform. This was Beyond the Uniform with TJ Brassel. Join me again next week when Olympian and two-time NCAA champion in the javelin, Sam Krauser, joins the show.